Welcome to Turn the Page, the official podcast of the Syosset Public Library. Welcome to Turn the Page. I'm your host today, Jen, and I am here with an author for the second time who has graced us with another visit to talk about a new book, very different from the last one. Could I ask you to introduce yourself and your book, please? Yes. Hi, Jen. Thanks for having me. My name is Alex Segura. I am a writer of novels and comic books. My new book is Aranya, Spider-Man 2099, Dark Tomorrow, and it's a YA Spider-Verse adventure starring two of the most recognizable Latinx spider heroes, Anya Corazon, who is Araña, the teen spider hero set in the modern day, and Miguel O'Hara, who is the Spider-Man of the future or the 2099 era. And it's a, I guess it's a time-hopping adventure, very very similar in tone to the Spider-Verse animated movie. So if you dug those, you'll probably enjoy this novel. Um, It is YA, so it's very much about Anya's arc and coming of age, but also it's about Miguel's coming of age at, at the late adulthood. You know, it's about two two heroes at very different points in their lives intersecting and learning from each other while still trying to save the universe from a supervillain I was very surprised I was able to use, but also very happy I was able to use. And um, yeah, in terms of vibe, if you if you like the Spider-Verse movies, this is a very natural next step. And uh, But you also don't need to have a doctorate in the Spider-Verse to understand what's going on. But if you do, if you happen to be a have a master's degree in all things Spider-Man, you'll you'll pick up a bunch of fun Easter eggs as well. Oh my gosh, it is so much fun. Oh, and, good. Uh, before we get into that too much, because I just want to, you know, we the last time you were here was for uh, Secret Identity, which was a phenomenal mystery and which has garnered great success just in the oh, past yeah. year. It's like it's been so wonderful to see that book's journey. Thank um, you. No problem. Yeah, and then to read this was like an absolute delight. Um, so. Did, or I have a couple questions about, I guess, about like uh, comparing those two writing experiences. Um, is writing YA really different for you than writing adult or um, like, do you kind of find yourself taking the same approach? Uh, it's a great question. I think um, I try to ap- approach writing YA novels the same as I would approach an adult novel, except obviously there's you want to be a little more mindful of the content, but, and and also the emotional focus, you know, with Carmen and Secret Identity, she's an adult and she's very well established. She knows she's very confident. She understands her place in the world, understands who she is. Um, whereas with someone like Anya, she's a teenager. And I think the, the best YAs for me are about that emotional journey, like kind of seeing the elements that will become the adult version of the character. And so we're kind of seeing Anya's road of discovery, like going from this um, curious teenager still trying to learn the ropes to a much more confident character. And we don't see the full arc in the novel, but you kind of see at the end, you kind of see her path in the same way that with the like Poe Dameron Freefall, the YA Star Wars book I wrote, you can see po, the Poe that's going to show up eventually in The Force Awakens, but he's not there yet. So the story is kind of about that journey that gets him on that path. And um, not to be super basic about it, but like teenagers have very raw emotions and it's something that we kind of bury as adults or kind of learn to manage our reactions. But teenagers haven't, we were just talking about this in, I guess, before the recording, how kids and, and younger adults just say what's on their mind or react emotionally to things. And, and that's really a tenet, I think, of YA that I don't reflect as much in adult novels because, you know, 
as adults, we tend to bury our feelings. You know? <laughs> That's a really good yeah. point, actually. Like, I, I am very curious about that point because you're right, because like a lot of when you're writing for adults and you're writing adult characters for adults, like oftentimes the source of like tension or conflict is like the disconnect between like what the person is feeling and what they're saying or doing. And like (laughs) that, like that dynamic is different for teens because there is like less of a filter and less of like, you know, the sort of, um, I guess, poised sort of performativeness that sometimes goes into being an adult. Yeah. Yeah, I think with Secret Identity, I mean, a lot of problems could have probably been solved for Carmen had she just spoken up and said, <laughs> I created that character, it's mine. And maybe it would have prevented her from continuing to work on it, which was her nightmare, what she didn't want. But I think it would have definitely changed the novel a great deal. Whereas with with Anya, she says what she thinks, she reacts emotionally, but also she's very sharp and very stubborn and driven and smart. So it's not like, it's not a primal, she's not a totally primal character, but... um. I think I definitely wanted to lean into the teen aspect of it because it's in such great contrast to Miguel, who is like the adult in the room, but also makes his own adult mistakes. Yeah, they are. They work so well together as protagonists because they have just enough in common and just enough different to really make mm-hmm. that like a uh, like a really interesting sort of uh, encounter between the two of them. Um, could you talk a little bit, too, about. Um, let's see. The difference between writing your own original story and writing for IP, like, because I get, I imagine, obviously, there are more constraints when you are writing within, like, somebody else's, uh, like, universe here. Um, Did they come to you with an idea or did they give give you characters or, like, you know, so how does, how did it kind of come about? Yeah, I guess it's different in, it's kind of different each time. Like with Poe and Star Wars, Lucasfilm came up to me and said, we want you to write a YA Poe novel that kind of sets the table for what's going to happen in the next Star Wars film and fills in that gap. Because in um, Rise of Skywalker, there's so much, so many hints and nods to Poe's time as a spice runner. They said, you know, they realized we need to flesh this out. So, you know, it's the perfect, and it tees you up perfectly after the movie, people will seek out the book theoretically. Um, this was not as continuity driven, you know, in that, my book doesn't happen in the same universe per se as the Spider-Verse movies. I mean, I guess if you squint and pretend it can, like there's no nothing that says it's not, but um, the conversation really started with Disney reaching out and saying, you know, we'd like you to do another YA novel. Are there Marvel characters, Latinx characters that you'd like to write about and top of list were Miguel and Anya. And then obviously they're spider heroes. So it became, how do we play them off each other? And, um, But I think, you know, it really depends on the IP holder, not to get all corporate about it, but some IP holders are very stringent in how you use their characters and what you can or cannot do. I think the ones that really succeed are the ones that are most flexible, like Marvel and Disney are very flexible and let you kind of integrate your voice into the story. Um, DC is very similar. You know, with Batman, Batman can be a Lego movie and it can be like a gritty adult movie. And I think you can see the same thing with spot characters like Spider-Man and, and the Spider-Verse. So I felt really I didn't feel limited. I, I think sometimes what you don't have to do in an adult novel that I create, I don't have to then check with myself and say, can I use this character? Like they're all mine. So I have granted myself permission by just the act of doing. But, um, you know, something like Judas Traveler, who's one of the main villains, like it's to me, I was like, this is such an obscure villain. There's no way they're going to let me use him as the big bad, but they did. And then there were some other minor things, like minor characters I had in the manuscript that they were like, oh, we have other plans for this character. So can you use them differently or use this version of the character? Um, So that was, 
you know, those are some just little little hurdles you have to deal with. And I think you have to go in expecting that and also just be ready to collaborate, I think, as opposed to with my own novels. I'm collaborating with my editor, of course, and beta readers, but they're usually seeing a finished product that's ready to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I imagine it is a lot more collaborative. Um, that is so interesting to me, especially I'm glad you brought up the villain, uh, Judas yeah. Trotter, because like when I was reading the book, I was sort of like narrating it to like my husband, Steve, most of the time. And he's oh, like, cool. fun. and I'm like, Judas Traveler. He's like, no way. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> That's great. and I That's guess it kind of links up to my question about, you know, what you were saying before about how like, um, you know, it exists like in obviously the storytelling universe and that there yeah. are like, um, if you know the world, that's great, but you don't really need to know like everything happening like in that storytelling world right now. So like, how do you balance um, the things that make it accessible, like for new readers and the things right. that like, you know, please the old readers, if that makes sense? Yeah, no, it's that's that's it's hard. Uh, I'm not going to minimize it. I think first and foremost, I have to make the book accessible. So any, you know, it's kind of like the inverse of kill your darlings. Like if I have something like a precious little Easter egg that I want to throw in there, that can always be the first thing to go because what matters most above and beyond anything else is clarity of story and making sure it's accessible to new readers. And that way, if you have that kind of as your core belief, as you're writing, you can sprinkle in the Easter eggs and those are just like, it's dressing, you know, and it's cool. And then, you know, fans can read it and say, oh, I know this character, that's neat. But if you're a newcomer to the story, you don't get lost in the sauce, I guess, you know, now I'm using a lot of food metaphors, but um. You know, you don't get lost because you're overcome with minutia. And I think sometimes that can be can be off-putting when you're trying to enter a new universe. And so I really wanted the book to feel welcoming to new readers. Um, did you know who Judas Traveler was before? Were you like... I did not. Okay. <laughs> but, yeah, one of the best things a friend of mine said who works at Marvel and wasn't involved in the book, but he, he works there and we're good friends. And he was like, you really made Judas Traveler creepy and scary. And this is a character that's been around for a long time that... I read as a teenager when I was reading the clone saga and he resonated with me. And so I thought, you know, let me kind of dust this guy off and make him interesting because he's always been interesting to me. So, um, but I think the balance you have to strike is making sure that the most important thing is that it's clear to new readers and the Easter eggs and the little nods to history, like fans will pick those up, but you don't want to bog down the narrative with too much continuity or too much, um, referencing because i mean it's more about consistency the characters have to feel like themselves and less about where in the story does this fit in because that's gonna you're really then catering to a very small percentage of the readership though if you do drill down if someone really like gets into the science of it this could exist in comic book continuity it's not necessarily in that continuity but i wrote it as if it did so i mean I guess that is the nice part about like the you know the, the multiverse sort of phase that we are in right yeah. now is that it is like kind of expansive and it does allow for all these different stories that like can exist without necessarily like contradicting other things that right. are happening. Um, this must've been a really exciting time to be like writing and working with these characters. Cause a lot of them do appear in um, across the spider verse, the yeah. last one. Um, was it, super cool to like see him on the screen like very shortly after having this book come out and like were you um 
I guess like were you surprised at all by the depiction? I, I saw them both and I read it and like saw it like almost the same yeah. week. Oh, so like, there was yeah, not so much time for me to sort of compare. But like, yeah, do you feel like um were you surprised by the depictions on screen? Do you feel like yours dovetails or hmm. yeah. Um I have a great connection with Miguel just as a reader, like uh, as a Cuban American kid, like growing up in Miami and then picking up I loved Spider-Man. Spider-Man was my comic guy. Like I was a big Spider-Man and X-Men kid, and obviously some other, you know, DC characters as well but spider-man that um you know that every man like you know the idea of this nerdy kid who gets powers and then becomes a superhero but still has to deal with all his problems are really rec you know related to that and then to see a latinx version you know i remember vividly being in middle school and getting that first comic book and just being so blown away that there was you know that sense of identification was really important to me and still is um, so I feel a great connection to the character. So watching him on the big screen, I felt like, oh, cool, you know, we're up there, you know, like, it's really neat to see, see him there. And, and, uh, a lot of people have been like, oh, well, the Miguel in your book is different from the Miguel in the movie. And that's, that's fine. I think, like you said, it's the multiverse. There's various versions. I wrote the Miguel that I was familiar with from the comics and kind of spun out of the comics I read as a kid. And also, um leaned a little more like he's not i guess as hard-edged as the the movie version but i think all versions exist and are viable and um i think if you come out of that movie and you're looking for more miguel you won't feel like completely lost you know jumping from the movie to the book but they are slightly different for sure i feel like you know there are slight differences but they also do totally make sense uh, i feel like as the same person like with yeah. you know, in different circumstances and like how different yeah. things might affect their lives and it is I think super like it's 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 super fun I think to for me as a reader you know to get to explore these characters on the page and then also see them on the screen and have it feel like it's like like it, it feels like effortlessly sort of organic okay. you know? like it doesn't feel forced and it's, it's very very exciting um oh, cool. did you find that it was tricky um to get, uh, let's say, the dialogue, because like Spider-Man is one of the quippier <laughs> of the yeah. superheroes, and he's like the most consistently funny, in my opinion, mm -hmm. too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Aranya is like no exception. She's she's so like she's so lovable, and she's also just very witty and very clever. And I just okay. love, I love that like you know always like when they're fighting the villain, they're also just like want to really annoy them too, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, was that a hard tone to get, or did you feel like you slipped into it easily, or? I mean, it, I hate to say it was easy because no writing is easy, but it felt very natural just being such a longtime reader of Spider-Man. And there's a moment, I think, what, there's a moment where Peter Parker shows up in flashback as Spider-Man. And I remember texting a friend of mine who also writes Spider-Man, like middle grade books, and just being like, I am literally typing Peter Parker dialogue <laughs> as we speak. Um, so his voice felt really natural. And, you know, obviously the shadow of Spider-Man is felt throughout, but I wanted to differentiate Anya from him in that she is quippy and funny, but she's coming at it not from a place of insecurity and fear, but more confidence and defiance. Like she's really like, she's going to make fun of you because she's confident and she is ready to handle this. And even if she's not confident, she's going to give off that, that vibe because she wants you to feel like she is confident, you know, like she's, she's, she's doing it from a slightly different place. And Miguel is, not as quippy because he's the inverse like and that's what i found most fascinating about the character is that the miguel o'hara version of spider-man is flips the script a little bit whereas miguel is the quippy funny lighthearted version and spider-man is the dark brooding kind of internal character whereas you see the other side with peter parker being this nebbish nerdy character and spider-man is more his 
exoskeleton kind of like this ex- extroverted version where he's funny, quippy, lighthearted. Um, so I wanted to keep Miguel a little bit more brooding, but also, you know, he cra- he cracks jokes here and there too. You can't help, can't help it. But um, yeah, it's all under the umbrella of like Peter Parker, but slight variations on a theme. Yeah, it was um when it came to picking the bad guys was that um well you said that you had you know wanted to work with judas traveler um he also like spider-man does also have one of the best rogues galleries and like the zaniest in a lot of ways i think you see that in the opening scene (laughs) like that opening scene is just so so good and i'm going blanking on the villain's name stegron stegron Stegron, the dinosaur man Yeah. I was always fascinated by that character because he was he's basically like a lizard offshoot. You know, the lizard injects lizard DNA and then becomes a lizard man. And then literally Vincent Stegron injects himself with dinosaur DNA and becomes a dinosaur man, becomes a dinosaur man. And he always struck me as so funny. And yeah, like you said, the, the rogues gallery, Spider-Man's rogues gallery is very deep. There's a lot of deep cuts. So I wanted to play with some of those as opposed to like Green Goblin or Dr. Octopus characters that we always see. Um, but you also see nods to that too. There's a lot of kind of dimension bending and universe tweaking where you see, uh, I think you see Demo Goblin and uh, a lot of weird characters. So it was really a fun way to play with some of the deeper cuts. Nice. Obviously, something that people, uh, you know, are doing a lot when they are writing um, the teen characters in Spider-Man, mm-hmm. Spider-Man as a teen is like using sort of like... Um, the acquisition of superpowers sort of like to explore like the other changes that a person is going through at that age, sort of like in the course of their life, you know, and how like the process of change in those teen years is sort of like what turns you into that person that you're going to be like the way that you were saying that you use these novels to sort of like set up the path of growth, like for these uh, characters after the novels end. Right. Um, so like when you, are writing teen characters going through these teen things. Um, How do you, I feel like this question is not going to come out the way I want it to, but like how, like how do you play with that metaphor without it being like too. um... Tropey. Yes. Yes. That's the, that's actually the perfect word. Yeah. 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 No, I get, it's a great question. And I I thought about it a lot. I think, I think it can feel tropey when you also integrate romance in some way like you're coming of age and you know you've got these powers and how do you balance your powers with this romance and I really wanted it's not that I hate romance I just didn't think it was relevant to the story like it's so early in Anya's career that it's more about her journey of self-discovery and that can happen independent of longing for someone you know like not everything has to be like 90210 where you're kind of defined not not to I love 90210 I love soap opera I think it's great but not everything you do individually has to be defined by your partner or your seeking of a partner or seeking of romance. And uh, I wanted to f- kind of be in Anya's head and learn about who she was becoming. And because she's got, there's a lot going on. Her mother's disappeared. Her dad's kind of distant. Her mentor is killed. I'm not really spoiling anything. It's in the first 60 pages of the book. So she's really looking for some guidance and not looking, she's not thinking about really like the kind of social drama of high school. And that was most fascinating to me. And and Miguel is the inverse and he's, you know, kind of grappling with a great loss. Like his brother's gone, his fiance is gone. So he's really trying to pull himself out of the abyss that he's not even aware he's in yet. He's, he's become this, it's depression. He's depressed. He, he doesn't know what to do next. And so they kind of help pull each other in different directions, which that was the crux of their dynamic was the most interesting part to write. I think question or did it just go off the rails? 
No, you absolutely answered it. I think I think you're absolutely right. Yeah, because uh, one of the other things that I did love about this was this sort of um, like mentor relationship at the heart of it. Um, and I never even really thought about like not having romance in it, but like so many teen stories are about romance and about yeah. first love. And like, that's not where everybody is like in the, like, I didn't have my first date until I was like 17, you know, and like yeah. not every, not every teen. Unless they're late bloomers. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I do, I think, especially for um, like a, a female protagonist, that is, I think, especially important to have like storytelling possibilities outside of romance. So that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and I really wanted it to not be like, oh, Miguel's older, so therefore he will automatically mentor Anya. Like, he learns as much from her as she learns from him, if not more, because she's really reminding him of the thrill of being a hero, and he needs that to remember why he did it in the first place, even though he's a little bit grumpier than she is. <laughs> he definitely got some joy from being Spider-Man, and so she rekindles that without spoiling anything. Yeah, that is really true. And I think that, like, I guess something that is... Um, I feel like is inherent in the storytelling too, is that like in order to write a teen protagonist, you have to obviously like have empathy for that teen and sort yeah. of like, I think get past that like natural embarrassment that like most adults have about teens because we just yeah. like remember how embarrassing it was for us. And it's hard not to be like, no, don't do that. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You have to tap into what it felt like for yourself. And I think sometimes what writers grapple with is they try too hard with the surface stuff, like what the lingo is and what, like what the cool things are. And it's really an emotional tone. That's, that's what's going to make it timeless in terms of a story that someone maybe 10 years from now will read and, and still resonate because they're not thinking about like the catchphrases or, you know, the surface stuff that's relevant. They, they want the emotional thing that is timeless. Like we've all felt that if, if you've been a teenager, you felt that isolation and that kind of uh, sense of loss that, you know, it's, it's just something we can all relate to. Yeah. Do you think you'll ever return to these characters? I wouldn't be surprised. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did get to write Aranya twice so far in the comics. I wrote a story in Edge of Spider-Verse number one that is neat because it reestablished her as Aranya. She was Spider-Girl for a short while. and the, Not a short while, a couple of years. And that story... Um, had her back in the Ed Anya costume and then another story in the next Spider-Verse series Edge of Spider-Verse number four where she she basically takes on this new role as the you know 616 universe protector from of villains that are coming from different multiversal threads uh, so she fights like an alternate version of Electro and it was fun it's just fun to deal with both both versions of Anya like the pros new version you know she's just starting out and then the current Marvel Universe version so that was really cool. That is super cool. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming to talk about her. Oh, it's always good to chat with you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Oh, it was great. Thank you so much. Um, listeners, please check out Aranya and Spider-Man 2099 Dark Tomorrow. It is so much fun. And especially if you've just seen uh, Across the Spider-Verse, like it just, it pairs so well. It's, it's really a joy. <laughs> Mission accomplished. Thank you so much. No problem. Thank you for joining us. It is time to close this chapter. It's time to close this chapter of Turn the Page. Join us for the next episode.